Welcome to Kevin Connor's podcast. This current series of messages is on the book of Acts, showing its relevance for today as a pattern book for the operation of the Holy Spirit through the church. Be sure also to get a copy of Kevin's commentary on the book of Acts. Visit kevinconnor.org for details. Now, in our last session together, we looked at uh, the Apostle Paul, or as Saul as he was, and his conversion to the Lord Jesus Christ on the Damascus Road, and uh, just the uh, beautiful way how the Lord Jesus, as the head of the church, was working both ends. He worked on Saul on one end, and then worked on Ananias the other end, and just uh, tied the ends together in a knot here. And then we see how Saul uh, became, began to preach in the name of the Lord Jesus, and uh, how he had to escape. Uh, I always think of the, the disciples that took Paul and led him o- over the wall in a basket. They didn't even get a mention, but how many are glad the rope didn't break? Saul gets all the mention, but don't forget the guys who hold the rope. And there's many people in the church that just hold the rope, they don't even get a mention, while some of these other fellows do. But they'll get their reward, and I'm sure Paul thanked them in due time, so well, thanks for not letting the rope break and let me get away. Now, it's interesting that after all the uh, uproar about Saul becoming converted to the Lord Jesus, in verse 31, Acts 9 verse 31, uh, it's a whole message. In the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. If you'd just like to take a simple outline from the verse there, we have five particular points about the churches. Some of the translations just simply say, then had the church, uh, the church uh, singular, and other translations say the churches, plural, uh, in Judea and Galilee and Samaria. I think uh, both are true. The church is one, and yet there are churches in Judea and Galilee and Samaria. So note the five points just in an outline form on this verse. Number one, the church has had rest. Number two, the churches were edified. So they'll build up, so rest, preceded edification. And number three, they were, the churches walked in the fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the fear of the Lord was helping keep the church clean here in the midst of persecution. Then number five, uh, the churches walked in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And then number, number, uh, number four, that is, pardon me, and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And then number five, the churches were multiplied. So I think there's a beautiful order there and it's just uh, such a rich verse. So number one, the churches had rest. Number two, the churches were edified. Number three, the churches walked in the fear of the Lord. Number four, they walked in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And number five, the churches were multiplied. Edified through the multiplied rest, fear, comfort. Just uh, a good little uh, message outlined there. Now, the rest of the uh, chapter has to do with the ministry of Peter, and we'll just touch very lightly on the things that happen here. But uh, you may remember that when the Lord Jesus called Peter and the rest of the apostles, uh, the ministry of the apostle, uh, uh, apostles, particularly the twelve here, and their, uh, their equipping of the Lord, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, I'm quoting now, And as ye go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils, freely have received, freely give. And so we see the apostles not only doing this in the...
apostles raising the dead. So they just didn't go around willy-nilly into the graveyards, emptying the graveyards out and trying to raise the dead. Uh, it had to be the will of God. We have had some Pentecostal, I nearly said crackpots, but it won't say that, uh, going into graveyards and into hospitals, trying to empty them out and raise the dead, and uh, all they've left is a bad smell. So, uh, so the early apostles, though, they were told to heal the sick, raise the dead. They just didn't go around willy-nilly raising the dead and emptying out graveyards or emptying out hospitals. Everything had to be in the will of God. And so that's really important. So this is the first case we have of an uh, of, uh, apostle raising... Uh, in, in verses 32 30, uh, through to 35, we have a case of healing. So back to Acts, Acts 9, I am. So Peter passed through the quarters, uh, Aeneas, which had kept his bed uh, eight years. It's a long time to keep your bed, isn't it? And I always like the next words here, that his sickness was palsy, but he was sick of the palsy, so I'd be sick of it after eight years too. And uh, so G uh, Peter said... Aeneas, Jesus Christ, makes you whole, arise and make your bed, and he rose immediately. And it wasn't a uh, queen-sized bed, by the way. Uh, sometimes when I used to hear, wow, how did he take up such a big bed? But it was just a mat that they slept on. And so the response was in Lydda, and so and saw him and turned to the Lord, all that dwelt. So in these small villages, result of that healing, many people turned to the Lord. In verses 36 through to the close of the chapter now, uh, we have a woman named Dorcas, and she was full of good works and alms deeds which she did, and uh, she was sick and she died, and so they uh, washed her later in the upper chamber, and uh, because Lydda was nigh to Joppa, the disciples heard Peter was there, and so they sent two men and asked him to come without delay. So Peter came in and the widows were weeping, and showing the, co uh, the coats and, and garments which Dorcas made while she was with them. And notice verse uh, 40, I think this is very uh, significant here, Peter put them all forth, and uh, you know, there's no, no, not like some of the stuff we've heard today in some extremes, well, get out, you're full of unbelief, Jesus said raise the dead. Now notice what he did, he put them all forth and kneeled down and prayed. Now what do you think he was praying for? I personally believe he was praying for the will of God. Should Dorcas be raised from the dead? So, in answer to prayer, it's quite evident he got a word from the Lord Jesus. Yes, she's to be raised from the dead. And turning him to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, presented her alive. And it was known throughout all Joppa, and the result is again, many believed in the Lord. Not, not everybody. So people say, oh, well, if people were raised from the dead, they would believe. Not necessarily. Many believed in the Lord. And so uh, in Peter's ministry here, we see him using the keys of the kingdom, healing of the sick, and raising the dead, and I believe here all in the will of God. Um, how, many, how many of you ladies feel encouraged when you read this, you know, as a... A blessed woman that was raised from the dead here. How many women feel encouraged? You know, I mean, poor Stephen. You see, God doesn't see things like we do. You say, oh, she's only a woman. And all she does, you know, I mean, she hasn't got a big apostolic ministry. All she does is make coats for the kids. But Stephen was stoned. Not on LSD, either. Uh, and Saul was stoned 
And uh, the Lord didn't raise Stephen from the dead, he did raise Saul from the dead, but he raises a woman from the dead. Now see, if we big apostles had been there, we would have thought, now, a uh, woman. You know, and all she does is make coats for the kids. Let's leave her for dead. <laughs> so you women should be feeling kind. At the head of the church, first resurrection in the book of Acts was a woman. Doesn't that encourage you? Oh, you women are so funny. Doesn't it encourage you? Yeah, so here's a woman experiences resurrection life. I like that. And I like what uh, Peter said. He said to Bitha, arise. Remember what Jesus said when he called Lazarus from the dead? Uh, he said, Lazarus, arise and come forth because I believe if Lazarus, uh, Jesus hadn't have named Lazarus, a whole bunch of other people might come up. <laughs> Because Jesus had just said the hour is coming and now is when the, those that are in the grave will hear the voice of the Son of God and live. And so you can guess what was going on in the underworld because as I understand the scriptures, before Jesus ascended to heaven, all the goodies and the baddies went to Sheol or Hades and the goodies went to the right, righteous section and the baddies went to the wicked section. And uh, so you can imagine Lazarus down there and also Tabitha, you know, at this time. And uh, Lazarus is down there with the righteous spirits waiting for the resurrection of the life to come and all of a sudden he hears this voice, Lazarus come forth and he looks around. Lazarus come forth and up from the grave he arose, grave clothes and all. Huh? And I'm sure he said, goodbye guys, I'll be seeing you. <laughs> huh? And the remarkable thing about the resurrection there is that Lazarus came bound uh, hand and foot in his grave clothes so that was a miracle you know because he has to stand up and he has to somehow well, he doesn't even do that he just has to float up from the grave you know and then the Lord says loose him but it's a contrast to when Jesus was resurrected from the dead because Jesus didn't come up bound he just shot out of his grave clothes and left them there okay. now she got out of bed this one so you never know what the Lord can do, do you? So a healing here and a resurrection from the dead. Now we want to just uh, make one other point here, and uh, this is. Um, is this thing working? No, it's Maybe that thing's working. Is that what it's all about? Well, can you hear me? Yes. All right. Here's me taking this thing off. I'll bring this over a little bit closer as we're trying to tape a bit too here. Uh, in relation to Saul now, before we uh, move further on to Peter, um, a lot of questions uh, arise about Saul or Paul as he was to be. Uh, was Paul to be the twelfth apostle or was he uh, an extra apostle and so forth? So just want to sort of indulge here a little bit. It's purely indulgence. And I want to show you an Old Testament pattern and uh, I am in that school that believes that Paul actually became the twelfth apostle. So I want to show you something that happened in the Old Testament here. So in the Old Testament we had this pattern. Wish, wish this thing was working properly. Uh, I don't know what I can do about it. Nothing. See how we go. We have uh, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. So I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. So we'll put it this way. The three fathers, and then uh, Jacob had 12 sons, 
And in this pattern, this is what you see, uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. And then you have the 70 souls that went into Egypt. And then from the 70, you have the nation of Israel. So you have 3, 12, 70 pattern here. But when you come to the New Testament, you find the same pattern actually, uh, because all these things were shadows. So you have three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Uh, these three men, this trinity of men, as often say, show forth the characteristics of the Godhead as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then, of course, Jesus chooses 12 apostles. And then we have 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. And then, of course, after that, he chooses the 70 others, uh, disciples, to go out and heal. And then after this, we come to the New Testament church. Israel was the Old Testament church. So you know there's a pattern. This pattern's repeated several times, but 3, 12, 70, then the nation, Israel, the Old Testament church. And here we have New Testament pattern, 3, 12, uh, and 70, and then the church. Now, the significant thing about this is this, that Reuben was the firstborn, and uh, why don't we turn over to that quickly here, I've just got to watch, I don't indulge too much, but turn over to First Chronicles chapter 5, First Chronicles chapter 5, and pick up something very interesting here, First Chronicles chapter 5. And uh, you can just put down verses 1 and 2. We can't uh, indulge too much, but First Chronicles chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Now the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, for he was the firstborn, but forasmuch as he defiled his father's bed, his birthright was given unto the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel, and the genealogy is not to be reckoned after the birthright. So we'll just hold it there. So Reuben the firstborn, but he defiled his father's uh, couch, uh, immorality here, so he loses the birthright. And so his birthright is given to the sons of Joseph. Now remember, uh, the sons of Joseph, the 11th son of uh, Jacob was Joseph. And then uh, the 12th son was Benjamin, of course. So number 12 here. So now when Joseph hears that his father is dying, he brings his two sons. How many remember the story? He brings Manasseh to his father's right hand for blessing. I'll put it on the right hand here. And then he brings Ephraim to the left hand for blessing. So now, as Jacob prophesies over these sons, he's blind physically, but he's not blind spiritually. So he adopts these two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, through the laying of hands. But as he's doing it, if you remember the story, how many remember the story here? Okay, uh, Jacob crosses his hands and puts his right hand upon Ephraim's head and then his left hand upon Manasseh's head. And now through the laying of hands and prophecy and the cross, playing on the word crossing of the hands, Ephraim becomes the firstborn. And so as it says here, Reuben was the firstborn of Israel, but because he defiled his father's couch, his birthright is now taken and given to the sons of Joseph, and so what happens here? In the laying of hands and prophecy and the cross, Ephraim becomes the firstborn. Now, if Ephraim and Manasseh do become tribes, by the way, uh, and we've got Simeon and Levi and then Judah, 
uh, the scepter comes from him. We would have 13 tribes, but Levi, you remember, is taken out for priesthood, and Judah is taken out for kingship. But the birthright is now given to Ephraim and Manasseh, or the sons of Joseph, but particularly Ephraim. So what I'm saying here is two sons are brought in to replace this son. Though the tribal name continues, two sons. Now, here this, uh, this Reuben becomes the fallen one of the twelve sons of Jacob. That's what I'm saying, he's the fallen one. Now there's a pattern that happens here because we have Judas who becomes the fallen one of the twelve, as back here. And when you get to the book of Acts, two are brought in, Matthias, and who was the other fellow? How many remember his name? Because I've forgotten it. Matthias, when they're choosing who's going to replace uh, Judas, they choose two men. They appointed two Joseph, uh, called Barsabas, who was named Justice and Matthias. So Joseph and Matthias. And so everybody says, okay, well, either Matthias or Joseph. And so what happens? They cast lots, but the lot falls upon this one. Now the issue is, is Matthias, does he replace Judas and become the twelfth apostle? Or had several scriptures intimate that even Paul recognized him as the twelfth. And yet I believe that just as there is in God's mind a crossing here, that, that would be like thirteen tribes here, Ephraim and Manasseh brought in, and it would be like thirteen apostles here, uh, I believe that in the mind of the, of the head of the church, it's Paul who actually gets the double portion because Ephraim received the double portion and was numbered among the tribes. And I believe in God's mind, though in man's mind Matthias is, yet in God's mind Paul, because he said, I laid the foundation. So um, it'll be an interesting thing when we get to heaven to find out what the real answer is. But there's some pattern here, a 312, fallen one of the 12, two are brought in to replace the fallen one, 312, fallen one of the 12, two are brought in to replace, either Matthias or Paul, not Joseph, which one is it, which one is firstborn here, which one is firstborn there, then 70, then 70, then the church, Old Testament Israel, then the church here. So uh, I think the head of the church has something in mind, don't you? Anyway, something to think about between now and the millennium, unless you're in the millennium. All right, let's turn back to Acts chapter 8 now from that indulgence. Everybody said Amen. All right, now as we move on now from, uh, from, uh, from Paul, we come now to uh, Peter's ministry here, and we're going to be coming to the sort of the last chapters here uh, as far as uh, Peter's ministry is concerned. Chapter 10, 11, and 12, and Acts chapter 12 is the last mention as far as Peter's ministry is concerned, but very important thing that is happening here. Now in Acts chapter 10 through to chapter 11, uh, at least to verse 18, we see the Lord Jesus, the head of the church, sending Peter down uh, to minister to the Gentiles. Now remember what we've gone through so far, we've had... Uh, uh, the, the order of the gospel here going out, begin at Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, and then the uttermost parts of the earth. So now the gospel is spreading, and the, that's how the book of Acts is unfolding. Now, 
In chapter 10 and 11, we see the, uh, a sovereign outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the Gentiles. And I want to give you sort of, uh, we'll read a few verses here, but then I want to give you several scriptures on uh, what I believe this is the fulfillment of. All right, Acts chapter 10, verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine arms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodges uh, with one Simon of Tanner, whose house is by the seaside, and he shall tell you what you ought to do. And when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants, and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. Now, verses 9 onwards through to 18, uh, we find that the Lord is working on the other end. So now, we have Cornelius here. So here we have uh, the beginning of the, of the gospel going out to particularly uh, Gentiles. Okay, so Cornelius a Gentile, in his Gentile house. And uh, we have Peter who's a Jew here, and so God is going to work on the Jew to take the gospel to the Gentiles. So the Lord Jesus is the head of the church. And as we've been noticing, when the Lord's in a thing, he works on both ends. He worked on, uh, on Saul, he worked on, on Ananias, he worked on uh, Philip, he worked on the Ethiopian, he worked on Cornelius, he worked on Peter. So both of them are getting a vision because the Lord's going to tie the knot together here, Jew and Gentile, although Peter doesn't sort of understand the significance of it. If you're taking down notes, let me just give you some scriptures because uh, I'll, I'll have you turn to this one. Let's turn over to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. Now all through the Old Testament the Lord prophesied and promised, promised to the patriarchs and prophesied through the prophets that there would come blessing on the Gentiles. And uh, most of the prophets didn't realize that the blessing to come on the Gentiles was going to come really through the gospel. So Genesis chapter 12 and uh, verses 1 through to 3. The Lord had said to Abraham, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curse of thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So this is the promise we have here. Now, just put down some of these other scriptures, and uh, they're all prophecies that the Old Testament, they were either in promise or prophecy. So two things, either promise or prophecy. To the fathers, it was given in promises and uh, prophecy, see. Uh, or through the prophets, it was given in prophecy. So take down some of these scriptures if you're taking down notes. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through to 5. Isaiah 11, 1 to 5. Isaiah 42, 1 to 16. Isaiah uh, 61, verses 6 to 9. Isaiah 61, verse 6 to 9. And uh, Jeremiah 16, 19. Jeremiah 16, 19. And Malachi chapter 1 and verse 11. Malachi chapter 1 and verse 11. 
So there are numerous prophecies through the Old Testament that the Lord would bless the Gentiles and uh, that, the, uh, that in, in, uh, in the seed of Abraham all nations would be blessed. So all the families of the earth, all nations would be blessed. So now here the Lord Jesus as head of the church is fulfilling the promise. Now I want you to go back to something I've referred to in a previous uh, session but let's go back to uh, Noah's prophecy because what I see happening in this chapter here is the fulfillment of Noah's prophecy on the positive side. So Genesis chapter 9, let's go way back to there. Genesis 9. And let me remind you that uh, the flood is uh, finished. Noah and his three sons, Shem, Ham and Jath, have gone out of the ark. The earth, the earth is being overspread with them. Noah gets drunk. God doesn't excuse his drunkenness. And in his drunken state, he becomes uh, uncovered in his tent. And uh, then we see what Ham did to his father and how he told his two brothers about it. But they walked backwards and put a garment, uh, put a garment over their shoulders and covered the nakedness of their father and did not uh, get into the whole pornographic scene there. Now I want you to pick up in verse 24, Genesis 9, 24. Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done unto him. And he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. He said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, Canaan shall be his servant. And God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. Now, let's just put something here in connection because... Uh, there's a, I think, a lot of connection here in what we're looking at tonight. So uh, we have Noah's three sons, and in the order we have here, we have Shem, and then Ham, who is the youngest son, but generally they're put in this order, and Japheth. Now, we've mentioned this before, but just to bring it together, so now you'll notice what Noah prophesies here, even though he came out of a drunken state and uncovered because of this drunkenness, uh, you'll notice that he puts a curse on here, so cursed be Ham, and uh, because I don't want to sound as if I'm racist or anything like that, but it's interesting to go through uh, the, the Hamite races today. I like to do a little bit of study on ethnology, and I've got all the Hamite, as I understand them, Hamite nations today. So a curse on the Ham, Hamite races. And then for um, Shem, blessed be the Lord God of Shem. So we have a blessing on here, and we have the Shemite races. Uh, today in the Shemite nations and then you'll notice that the, the Japhetic races were to be enlarged. God shall enlarge Japheth and we refer to these as the enlarged uh, races, the enlarged nations and uh, I have a group of them in my own little uh, indulgence on, on ethnic division. Now, over the years as the whole human race is divided into these three uh, sons of Noah we have blessed races, cursed races, and large races, and that's a whole study in itself. But once we come to the New Testament, through the cross uh, and, and, the, and, and the Lord Jesus Christ, all nations are to be blessed because Jesus Christ hung on a cross. Cursed is everyone that hangs on the tree. So Jesus was cursed for us. He took the curse of the earth, of our sin, of death, and everything like that. He took the curse even the curses of the law that were on Israel had affected uh, the Japhetic nation, see. So what happens in the book of Acts now, Acts chapter 1 through to 7, 
you find that the blessing is on the Shemite races, Jerusalem, Judea, and the cities of Judea, Acts 1 to 7. Then as we did that night, Acts chapter 8, we see an Ethiopian of the line of Ham. He comes under blessing through Christ, and now in Acts chapter 10 and 11, this is the divine order here, I believe. I see Cornelius of the Italian band uh, of the Japhetic race as Acts chapter 10, 11, blessing comes here. So all that happened into no under, under Noah now of Shem, Ham and Japheth, the Lord Jesus Christ now is reversing the curse through the cross and so the Shemite races come under blessing, outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 8, uh, uh, Ethiopian from the line of Ham comes into blessing through Christ. And then now Cornelius and the Gentiles here, band, the enlarged races come under blessing. And another outpouring. So we have a sovereign outpouring of the Holy Spirit here under Peter. Now you'll notice he's the one here. And you'll see there's more link up in a moment. Uh, and we see Peter's the one that's used here. So Peter's the one that... Uh, sees uh, the original outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost and what we would say to the Jews. And then Peter is the one that is now involved here because he's got the keys of the kingdom and he sees the outpouring of the Spirit on the Gentiles. So, so Peter is the one that sees two sovereign outpourings of the Holy Spirit on the Jews and on the Gentiles. But Peter and Noah are somehow linked up. Now, let's go back to Acts. Am I talking too fast? I told them in Malaysia I was born in a hurry because they were writing both hands, their pens were smoking. Had to get a fire extinguishers. All right, so uh, how many see the picture we've got here? How many are glad for the Lord Jesus Christ? So in thy seed all nations will be blessed. But see, Peter was still pretty sectarian, nationalistic and Jewish minded. And so, uh, so the Lord's working on him. He's working on Cornelius down one end. He's working on uh, Peter the other end. So now, in the, in, in, in the Lord's getting through to Peter, and I want to say some things here. I hope uh, I might clarify some things because this chapter is so misinterpreted sometimes. So Peter goes up about the sixth hour to pray and he became very hungry. And uh, he would have eaten and while they were making ready, he fell into a trance. Don't anybody do that here at the moment, please. So in this trance he sees heaven opened, descending down from heaven and like a big great sheet uh, knit at the four corners and down to earth and all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth are there, wild beasts, creeping things, fowls of the air. So there's pigs and lions and tigers and bears and crabfish and crayfish and uh, you know all those type of things you know all sorts all beasts of the earth now now as as he's seeing this vision uh, the voice came said rise Peter kill and eat and he said Lord not so I'm a good British Israelite uh, pardon me I'm a good Jew I've never broken the food laws I've never eaten deviled ham or any of those unclean things crayfish and yabbies that live on all the sewer filth. I've never eaten anything like that. Now, as I often say, that's not going, if you eat that, it's not going to stop you getting to heaven. It'll help you get there quicker. So, um, <laughs> so, uh, so this happens three times. He's got to get the message. Now, 
I want you to notice where most preachers, in my mind, what I've heard them beat around on this chapter is say, you know, Peter didn't just jump up and say, oh, you know, when the Lord said, what I've cleansed, uh, don't you call common or unclean. He didn't jump up and say, oh, now I can eat pork and now I can eat this, that and the other. It is nothing to do with food laws. It's to do with the Gentiles. Because all the nations, Jew and Gentile, were likened to certain animals. So you know the book of Daniel. The uh, Gentile nations likened to lion and bear and wild rapacious beasts, uh, carnivorous Gentile unclean animals. And see, let's link up something here because there's more in this than meets the ear. Because I believe Peter is the New Testament Noah here. We're looking at the prophetic word here, but remember when, uh, when, uh, when the Lord said to Noah, okay, a flood's coming, I want you to build a three-storied ark. The ark must have a foundation, and the ark must have a door, and then the ark must have a window. So it was one ark, an ark of salvation, but it was three, stor three stories. So we all know the Father is the foundation of salvation. Jesus said, I am the door window where the dove went out and the, uh, the light, the illumination, the Holy Spirit. So one ark, one God, a three-storied ark, a triune ark. Now, what happened? Noah had quite a revival there, didn't he? Because uh, the, the Holy Spirit moved on all those dumb animals and all of them came into this triune ark through the door. It didn't matter whether they were lions, tigers, pigs, giraffes, elephants, hippopotamuses, whatever sort of animal you like and to like yourself to. Uh, they all, all, <laughs> all got into the ark by the door. And you see, the marvelous thing about this was when those animals got into the ark, God subdued all their natures. Otherwise, the lion would have been inside the lamb. And what did you have for lunch? I had lamb. <laughs> eh? So did you ever think, now I know I might be, uh, you know, touching some touchy spots here, but don't throw it away. It's not my fault if I'm right. Uh, you know, what do you think about those scriptures? The lion shall lay down with the lamb. And it doesn't mean the lamb's inside the lion. While well, he's, you know, smacking his chops. You see, in the Garden of Eden, God subdued the animal natures. They only went wild after, the, after sin. And in the Ark of Noah, all those wild animals there, God subdued their natures. Noah took food in for them all. And you see, God said to Noah... I want you to take, listen to this, and there's more in it than meets here, seven of the clean and uh, two of the unclean, which equals nine. Now, you think of what I'm talking about, the clean nations and the converts out of the clean nations and the unclean Gentile nations. So Acts chapter 10 and 11 has nothing to do with food laws. It's just that here Peter is of the sheep nation and all the others are goats and Gentile dogs and wild beasts. And so the Lord is trying to get across Peter. I'm going to cleanse these unclean, wild, rapacious nations. I'm going to bless them. I'm going to bring them into, into the ark of salvation. And like Noah preached the gospel and the spirit moved upon those dumb animals to come in, I'm going to use you to preach the gospel. I'm going to move by my spirit on the Gentiles. They're going to come into the door. And you'll notice the language that when Peter got back to Jerusalem and they wanted to pull his credentials for eating kosher pork,
he said it was God that did it he said I was just preaching the gospel to the Gentiles I didn't even get to the announcements I didn't even take up an offering right in the middle of the sermon the Lord interrupted me butted in there and poured out the Holy Spirit on the Gentiles and they began to speak in tongues just like we did at the beginning and so the guys at Jerusalem said okay we'll let you have your credentials but don't do it again but Peter said God opened the door of faith to the Gentiles and here's the beauty of what we pick up later on it was Peter who had the, uh, the keys of the kingdom and they say, oh, God's opened the door just like Noah did back here and God shut the door and they opened the door and shut it and then Paul was the one who was going to step in the door and become the great apostle to the Gentiles but it was Peter that had the keys to open it. So that's the tremendous picture that we have here. So uh, just as Noah took the clean and the unclean into the ark, number nine, number of fruitfulness, number of the Holy Spirit, nine gifts, nine fruit, nine months for the fruit of the womb, nine beatitudes, nine the number of the Holy Spirit. So when you look at the nations today, the clean nations, unclean nations, out of every kindred, tongue, tribe and nation, God's bringing him by his spirit into the ark of salvation, the triune name of the Lord Jesus Christ and everybody goes to the door. Look at the 39 nationalities we have represented here. This is quite an ark, isn't it? And how many know that God's pretty well subdued most of your natures uh, in the ark of God, but outside we could be wild, you know, rapacious beasts. So the Spirit did it, the Spirit. So he's not talking about food laws, he's talking about the Gentiles coming into the kingdom of God. Everybody said amen. Now, I want you to go over to 1 Corinthians, uh, or Galatians chapter 3. Let's, three uh, no, let's turn to uh, Romans. I've got four minutes here. Romans chapter, uh, Romans chapter 10, first of all. So Acts chapter 10, uh, 10 and 11 is primarily Peter using the keys of the kingdom, seeing the Gentiles come into the kingdom of God. But you see, Peter is still so sectarian because, as I said, he had no intention of baptizing these Gentiles. They would just become proselytes. And so uh, when the Holy Spirit, when the Lord Jesus poured out the Spirit on the Gentiles and they began to speak in tongues, uh, Peter said, look, you know, I heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. So he said, who was I to withstand God? And so he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Didn't even tell them to pray about it. And the whole message was this. If it's good enough for the Lord Jesus Christ to baptize the Gentiles in the Holy Spirit, it's good enough for me to baptize them in water. It's just that simple. Now, listen to Romans chapter 10. Beautiful verse here, Romans 10. And uh, this is where Paul's going to come in because Peter has got to learn some lessons. Okay, Romans 10 and verse, uh, uh, let's see, verse 11. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. So if if Paul said that back there and, and it was showed to Peter, the Lord has showed me that there's no difference between Jew and Gentile, that we purifies everybody's heart by faith, they're going to be saved by grace like we are. There's no difference. Why is it that people make a difference between the Jew and the Gentile today? Oh, the Jew is still the elect and, and, the, 
uh, the chosen few, the frozen few, and they're still above the church, and God's not finished with the Jews. No, there's no difference. They all have to be born again. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Jew and Gentile have to be born again. I was talking to somebody up, up, uh, up, upstream up there and said, well, what about the... I said, well, why don't you be honest with them? Tell them they've got to be born again like the Gentiles do. That's the truth. Don't tell them to keep the Feast of Tabernacles and rejoicing when they haven't even had Passover, Christ, or Holy Spirit, Pentecost, and a bloodless day of atonement. Uh, I better get back to the Bible. I can feel the silence. Okay, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, but the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everybody said hallelujah. Galatians chapter 3. Two more scriptures, Galatians 3. And what does Paul say here? And verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. National barriers cease to exist in the body of Christ. And then one more scripture, a very important one, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and uh, verse 13. All right, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. Listen to it as sort of the capstone of what we're talking about tonight. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. Okay, let me just finish on this. This is, this is what now we, we lead into and see... You've got to remember and be patient with the, the early church, what they're coming out of. So um, here we have Peter, right through to here. And so Peter's ministry as having the keys of the kingdom is Jews, Acts 2, sovereign outpouring of the Spirit, Gentiles, Acts chapter 10 and 11, sovereign outpouring of the Spirit. So that's Peter's ministry. Okay, keys of the kingdom opening the door, Jew and Gentile. Peter hasn't yet got the revelation of the body of Christ. So what happens? The Lord now gets hold of Paul. And he says, okay, Paul, I want you to do what Peter and these other 12 don't see. They're so sectarian, racist, nationalistic, trying to make the Gentiles proselytes, get them circumcised, keep Sabbath day, eat kosher pork and everything like that. Now, Paul is the one that comes along, and in 1 Corinthians 12, and this is what the big argument's going to be about, because as the book of Acts develops, what do they want to do? We want to have a Jewish body, and we want to have a Gentile body. We want to have two bodies, a Jewish church and Gentile church. Paul says, listen here, the Lord has given me a revelation that there's only one body. By one spirit are we all baptized into one body whether we be Jews or Gentiles, and we've been made to drink of the one spirit. And this is the issue between Paul and Peter. So Peter opens the door here, but Paul steps into it. But Paul is the great rebel of the church that national barriers cease to exist in the body of Christ. And Christ is neither Chinese, Australian, Russian, American, Malaysian, uh, European, or anything, but we're all one in Christ. How many are glad for that tonight? And so... It's a baptism, it's an immersion into the truth of the body of Christ. And I believe it would solve a lot of problems in the church today if we really had a baptism, an immersion into the revelation of the truth of the body of Christ. All the national 
barriers and national distinctions. And I know when my brother-in-law was in Africa, uh, uh, he, he uh, was a missionary there for years, and when uh, members would come from his church, the white brothers there in the, in the committee meeting uh, would not allow a black brother or a black sister, and he couldn't even have a cup of tea with them. Because that whole racist thing, and I said to him, I said, they need a revelation of the church as the body of Christ. Red and yellow, black and white, all the pressures in his sight. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Everybody said amen. Let's all stand. <coughs> Father, we just thank you again for the revelation of the truth of the body of Christ. We pray, Father, that in our Waverly Christian Fellowship here, you'll always help us to keep a clear view, a clear understanding of the body of Christ, that national barriers, national distinctions cease to exist in the many-membered body of Christ. And we thank you, Lord, that out of Shem and Ham and Japheth and the nations of this earth, all, all families are being blessed through the gospel and through our Lord Jesus Christ and through the seed of Abraham. Father, we thank you you've blessed us we pray you'll not only continue to bless us, but make, it, make us a blessing. We commit our studies to you tonight. May it fall upon the good ground of our heart and bring forth fruit unto eternal life. We ask it in the precious name of the head of the church, our Lord Jesus Christ. And everybody said amen. God bless you real good. Shake hands with each other. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books, and his ministry.